you're just funny. It's funny, you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how. Come here, come here, though. Yeah, he's crazy, see? Who are you? We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Ladies and gents, what is going on? Hey, thanks for tuning in uh, to another episode. Appreciate you. Today's guest is um, should be very interesting. This will be the first time I, I get a chance to talk with a uh, health coach and fitness expert, as well as an author, David Greenwalt. Um, he's a husband, father, former police officer, gym owner, and competitive state-level bodybuilder. That's right. Um, okay, so first, thank you so much for having me. It really is a pleasure to be here, and I mean that. Um, Same, I am David Greenwalt. I'm a certified health coach. I've been uh, interested in fitness since I was just a little boy. I uh, wanted the President's Council on Physical Fitness Award when I was 10. I really wanted that. Wow. And I got that a couple of times in grade school, and I thought it was really cool. And why? I have no idea. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's something in my DNA. And um, you know, I got into my, my last year of high school, and a friend invited me to start training with him. And I've started doing bodybuilding and powerlifting uh, you know, for 20-some years. So you know, I kind of got used to getting lean for a bodybuilding show and bulking up for powerlifting and getting lean for a bodybuilding show and bulking up for powerlifting. Mm. Um, I can't say that once I got into my mid twenties, I had any gifts for being lean. If I didn't pay attention, I blew up quite easily. Um, <laughs> Been there. And it was yeah. finally for me, I was in my early, early thirties. So this would have been like 1995, 96, something like that. And um, I was 235 pounds on 5'10", Tony. And so I was like, Whoa, nice. you know, Dave, I thought I said to myself then, you know, after kind of being up for, for a while, I said, Dave, you probably don't need a pound bag of M&Ms as a pre-workout. Right. So um, got the 50 pounds off. I used an evidence-based approach. I really wanted to come at it from that strategy. And uh, I've kept those 50 pounds off for 25 years and counting. Um, so with all that kind of experience in, in bodybuilding and powerlifting, I was running a fitness company and I was also a state trooper. So at the same time, oh, okay. so this was in the uh, early nineties. And, um, I only tell this story just to kind of get a feel for how I shifted into what I do. Um, totally. so I started this company, it was a supplement company. It was a mail order supplement company in 1992. And all I wanted to do was sell just enough supplements to pay for my own protein powder. That was my goal. <laughs> like it just make enough profit to pay for my own protein powder. I'd be happy. Started in a little room in the house. There was no such thing as the internet. I placed yeah. little ads in the back of bodybuilding magazines with a toll-free number where they could call and they'd have to leave a message because I was a trooper. Right. So I'm working 40 hours a week as a police officer. I get messages, order in supplements wholesale, sell them, uh, ship them, had to go to the UPS store, the whole thing. Anyway, over five years, I, I built that company surprisingly into about $5 million in revenue a year and 45 oh. employees. So I say that because... They, it grew into you know a, a sizable with regard to customers. I had tens of thousands of actual customers, and the internet was now coming in. Mm. And I started getting emails. Hey, Dave, you know, can you help me out? I'd like to lose thirty pounds and keep it off forever. If you could just real quick, no big deal. Just give me the <laughs> just give me the magic sauce. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just give me the magic sauce. Just give me the answer real quick. You know, when you get a second, I know it won't take much. You know, and just hit hit me with an email. So I tried for a while to do that, and I found that I had a passion for it. But I also found that I was, I knew that I was leaving them with just 
not near enough. There's only so much you can do in an email and there's only one of me. And so That's right. I ended up writing a book, it was almost 500 pages. And it was right about then at the end of the 90s when I, I wrote my book and I created the online coaching environment that we've been doing since 1999. So we've been online virtually coaching people, helping them get from someplace unhealthier or heavier uh, compared or, uh, and then get them to someplace healthier and leaner. And mm -hmm. we've been virtually doing that since 1999. I sold that supplement company. I don't sell any supplements at all. Uh, I was so passionate about this. Um, I sold that company so I could go all in on Leanest Lifestyle University. And that's what we've been doing for 23 years. Wow, that's great. Con congrats on on all the success. I know I, I was in the industry for quite some time, not as as involved as you were, uh, obviously, but I know it's a very, especially back in the 90s, it, uh, supplements in general is just very competitive and it, it's very interesting because everyone is looking for the new best thing. And I, I have a buddy that uh, just started dipping into supplements. He owned a, uh, a big health club uh, out of here in Florida, and he just started getting into it. But it's he doesn't have the budget that these big companies do. And you, you start to realize that a lot of the stuff is marketing, kind yeah. of what's on the package. And uh, it's a very interesting fine line because there's also millions of people out there that legitimately want to get results. And if they're not intelligent enough to kind of do the due diligence and look into, you know, NSF certifications and like all these little things that people don't know about, yeah, not only not going to get the results, but you could spend a lot of money on something that doesn't really do a lot. And, um, you know, someone like yourself that actually knows about the industry and knows how to coach and, and train people, um, you know, the, 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 this is something that a lot of people take for granted, right? Where Boy, everything, everything you just said as it relates to, you know, supplements just in my head i'm just like and that so translates into health coaching transformation body recomposition all of that same thing it's like how do you know how can you tell you know mm -hmm. you see someone they put a they talk a big game maybe they're a great marketer right you know and someone who's a great marketer wow they could really have some convincing things i'm i'm a much better health coach than i am a marketer um and, and that's uh <laughs> that's you know to my frustration at times, you know, on the front end, but, um, but anyway, yeah, it's the same thing. It's how do you, how do you figure that out? How do you know? And it's, and it's tough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the proof is in the pudding and it's, it's time, you know, I mean, time is our, our, our biggest enemy, but it also could be the biggest strength too, because through time and, and through trial and error and a lot of things, that's how you're going to get the best results sometimes. And, you know, I love how you, you were talking about how someone's like, can you just shoot me an email of, can you just let me know what I got to do? It's like, it's not that easy. I mean, if yeah. you really want the results, yeah. it's, it's so complex. And yeah. It's, it's, and, um, and even I, you know, I knew a lot with regard to the basics, you know, getting lean for a bodybuilding show, you got to get it down into that five, 6% range, you know, body fat. Mm -hmm. And I knew how to do it. I knew how to coach people to do that back then who really wanted to do that. But um, I had a lot to learn as a new coach in this field when I'm coaching everyday people who have struggled to get off, whether it be the 10 XX pounds they, they just don't want or the 150 pounds that they so badly need and want to get off. Um, I had a lot to learn and I've learned a lot over these 23 years, you know, that we've been doing this online, thankfully. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable what you can do online now. I mean, it's yeah. again, I, you know, when I was 18, I'm 37 now, when I was 18, I was uh, at LA fitness when they first started, uh, out of here in Florida, uh, in Orlando, actually. And then uh, I was in sales for quite some time. And they had this weird thing where they would do, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the gym model of LA Fitness. 
Oh, Ellicott. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but like back in the day, you know, they just first started and they would outsource their training department. And uh, it would be the best way that you want to be a trainer, which is you don't work for a corporation. You're working for yourself. Yeah, you get a paycheck by this other company. I think if I remember, it was like Body of Change or something like that. Yeah. And you would go through them and you would get paid like you would a freelancer, but you would get a paycheck through these folks and you were able to control your clients and your hours and all. And then eventually they transitioned into the corporate model, which is anybody can come on as a trainer. Uh, it's sales first, training second. You yeah. get paid by LA Fitness. You don't get to control your clients. You right. don't even have to get certified. You can go online and fill something out. And I'm just like, okay. Okay. Now it's getting kind of, it's getting corporate and weird. And that's when yeah. I got out of the industry. But uh, it was, it was very fulfilling at that age anyway, because I was in, you know, my 20s and I'm training girls from uh, UCF and, you know, it wasn't bad. But yeah. you don't, you don't realize at that young age that kind of what you're doing in terms of the training aspect and the coaching aspect is you're kind of like, you're, you're laying the foundation of someone's life. And that's what that's what it was great to be a trainer and to be involved in that process and that kind of organic process. But now I've realized, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, is the last 20 years in particular, things have changed where I couldn't imagine myself being a trainer right now because I have so many friends that are trainers in these facilities, not LA Fitness in particular. A lot of these facilities, and they'll have people come in for a one session or two session, pay 50 to 100 bucks, whatever it is. And then right afterwards, they message them and say, listen, you know, I... I found this guy or gal on TikTok and there's this workout program they're doing. And I think I'm going to stick to that instead of, mm -hmm. you know, because they say in two weeks I can look like this. And the trainers are yeah. just like, bro, you don't understand what you're doing. You, you got to lay a foundation. You got to really educate yourself and take your time. And it's, uh, it's yeah. social media to your point and the internet is, is, is great for a lot of things, but on the training side, I could see how it could kind of be a little bit of a negative. Are you feeling that at all in, in that industry? Um, well, because I've been doing it for so long, I guess I have a couple of uh, a couple of viewpoints. You know, I train in gyms, and I also train I train in multiple gyms. You know, it's one of the things we have. I have you know three different gym memberships. You know, because yeah. you have clients that are throughout. No, no, no. I don't train my clients oh. in person. Everything I do is virtual. Ninety nine percent of the clients over twenty three years I haven't met in person. Oh wow, get out of here! That's that's wild. Yeah. So you know, because we are um, you know body recomposition, and I don't. I don't spend, I spend more of my time educating on nutrition and laying a foundation of education for exercise, but more supporting what they can do. If they're working with a trainer, we're like, awesome, keep yeah. doing it. You know, we're all about that. Um, and, and we, we love it, you know, so, and if they don't, then we're going to help them figure out what they can do. Where can they do it? Maybe their body's going to be their gym or whatever. After we get through the nutrition and exercise education, we, we spend all of our time, uh, on what drives them to be consistent what's going on with compulsive overeating what's going on with emotional fitness because those three elements and there's they aren't just singular elements there's there's multi they're multifaceted each of them are absolutely and um they can be quite complex unless you really understand them you know fully and thoroughly but those three elements are what keep the nutrition and exercise components consistent mm. so we spend a lot more time dealing with the mind and emotion and uh willpower and all the things that drive that and making sure that people are educated beyond nutrition and exercise but educated on what are all the factors they're really up against in this obesogenic society um so because of that uh, you know the saying is 
you know, we use and others use it too, but it's true is we're the 23 hours in a day when they're not at the gym. That's right. What's yeah. it's the rest of life. So because we do that, it, um, you know, 99% of my clients, you know, I haven't met in person. It's a blessing when I do get to meet someone in person and we'll meet up for something, you know, but, um, but I've got clients all over the world. So, uh, with regard to your trainers, you know, because I'm in gyms, I see trainers and I work with trainers. So trainers will, a lot of times because they love doing what they do, we work with trainers and gym owners. Sometimes they want to, um, they want to be able to keep doing what they do, run their gym, be a trainer, train in person, and not be the accountability partner, the nutrition checker, the, all those things that relate to the transformation. And so they will have us do that for them. And we're going to, you know, we continue promoting them because, you know, they're, they're doing That's what they great. do. But because we work with trainers and I see trainers, I see trainers with clients for a long, long time. It's, I see it in, in no matter what the industry is, sometimes you just have no control over what that person you trained is going to do. Right. If there was a consistency, I'm going to say this because yeah. it's the same for me as a coach. If mm -hmm. there's a consistency that four out of five people that come in to see you pick an online trainer, it's not the online trainers. That's right. There's something going on with what you're doing, not doing, because I see our trainers in the three gyms I belong to busy with, and I see the same clients. I, I know their clients' names and they're not even my client. <laughs> hi, Betty. Hi, Mary. Hi, you know, hi, Tom or whatever, because I see them with the same trainer day after, you know, mm. so there's. Well, and, and, you know, again, when I was a trainer, I knew what was working and what wasn't for a lot of reasons, A, because of what you do in terms of certification and go through schooling and things like that, but also be like, as a trainer, it was kind of cool. And I'm sure it's like this now, but you were able to kind of conduct your own experiments. You know, it's very rare that you get, obviously, no person, there's no two people that are the same. But I would have kind of similar instances of my clients, and I would have like one client that wanted to lose 20 pounds, and, you know, she weighed 150 pounds, and then the other guy weighed 150, also want to lose 20. So I would do these weird experiments to where aside from like their workout routine, nutrition was relatively the same, and then one person was losing weight, and one person wasn't. And then you're like, so what are you doing at home? Oh, well, I'm doing this and this. And then I asked the other guy, what are you doing at home? Oh, I'm doing that. Okay, so there, there's some differences in terms of what you do in that, like you said, that 23 hours. And that makes a huge impact. And yeah. there could be other variables that you don't even think about. It could not just be nutrition. It could be the level of stress you have at home. Because if you're stressed, you know, obviously your body's going to react to that negatively. And you might put on weight, not even just from eating, but the amount of food that you do eat and you're stressed out, that could also lead to you gaining more weight. So there's a lot of variables, not just nutrition, but, um, you know, a positive mental household or a mental household that's, that's very positive and that has a big effect on people. So um, yep. it's interesting how uh, we don't understand when you talk to a trainer and when you talk to a coach like yourself, it's not just what you're doing that one-on-one -on -one session. It's everything else too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And like anything, you know, um, the the best really do rise to the top and they figure out how to make the workouts the right workout for the person interesting for that person and having that person say there's no substitute for this mm, that's right and what do you think uh the mentality is uh with humans now because i've i've seen a shift obviously i know you have you've been in it a lot longer than i have but just in the short amount of time where i i've been out of the industry what's going on with with the obesity uh, in this country oh, yeah. in particular, because it is right. it is fascinating when you see what happened, everything with the pandemic, and I hopefully opened up a lot of eyes. I know a lot of family and friends that I have, it opened their eyes big time. 
to where we always thought the vaccine was, you know, the cure and it's going to be this magical drug. There's going to be a thousand viruses that come and go. But the one thing that's always consistent, it seemed like with any type of respiratory disease or really anything that's going to affect a, a vast majority of humans on this earth, it always boils down to one thing. And that is, is the host, the human, are they healthy? Yeah. And if they're not healthy, they're going to get sick, whether it's SARS or the pandemic or the flu or whatever. It's it's always the issue. And for some reason, we just can't wake up in this country and realize we need to get better. Like, what's yeah. going on, you think? Uh, a, a lot of things. And and I'm with you on – I remember, um, you know, obviously, when, when COVID was first coming in and we were trying to get an understanding of it. Yeah. And, in, and having a number of clients who are physicians, PAs, NPs, and so forth. And just my, my wife's in the nursing field as well. And just re- listening to the news, hearing that, that first kind of batch of reports of we're seeing a high number of people who are being hospitalized who are obese. And, and I went, here we go. Mm-hmm. Here we go. You know, and so with regard to, to that, and obviously that's continued on, and we've just found overall that metabolic dysfunction and... Uh, you know, metabolic syndrome and, and or obesity, but definitely uh, the, the higher the weight with regard to uh, the obesity factor, the greater at risk, you know, someone's going to be of having it be more severe. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this continuum. There's this kind of this health continuum from sickness to wellness to fitness. And um, I didn't come up with this. Uh, CrossFit actually came up with this a number of years ago, but I like this model. And, it, it, you know, at the sickness level, that's kind of when we're, think of it like a kind of like a gas gauge. And I don't know if I can do it reversed, you know, on the screen, which way do I got to go? I go this way. So we're on empty down here. Okay. And that's sickness. And here's wellness up, you know, up, uh, up in the center. Right. And then fitness is over here on full, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and it's kind of thought of as a continuum and it, and so when you're moving from sickness to wellness, that's actually where you're going to get your biggest bang for your buck as far as health, health span, lifespan, and so on. But if you can get, improve your fitness to a degree where you move from wellness toward fitness, um, the proposition here is that you create a hedge. And mm-hmm. so that if you get sick, if you get injured, if you break something, if you have um, some communicable disease, if you whatever it may be, um, and you go from being a little past wellness or maybe really fit, when your fitness declines some because of the sickness, illness, the injury, uh, accident, whatever it may be, you're declining more toward wellness instead mm-hmm. of you started barely above sickness to begin with and right. then slam, you're, you're into sickness. And then we don't have a hedge. We have no buffer. And when that's the case, then we see obviously increased hospitalizations and, and on and on and on. Anything that can make it worse is worse when we're already starting at that very low level of fitness, which sure. body composition is a part of overall health-related fitness. That's right. Yeah, and you know, we don't even, again, the COVID, <laughs> the COVID thing was a funky one because we, if you were sick, like I only got sick for, I think like a day. Um, I got over pretty quick just because I've always been like a nut with vitamin D and, and my supplements and obviously training and, and all that. But, um, it's weird that when you're that sick, like I, I got really sick, the only thing you think about is I would do anything to feel better. Yeah. I would 
hurt a family member just to feel yeah. better. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you only think that way when you're extremely sick. Yeah. And then on the flip side, when we're really, really healthy, we don't do the right things to make sure we stay that way. Like it's, it's this weird relationship that we have with like, what we can actually take for granted or not. And yeah. health is just one of those funky things that we just think we're invincible. You know, that's why yeah. you got jabronis driving down the highway, especially I four going a hundred miles per hour in a death vehicle. Right. And then you have all these other people that are going to fast food chains and eating all this type of food and not thinking about the long-term effects. It's yeah. But then, you know, then when you get sick, you're like, uh, Oh my God, I'll stop eating that fast food. I will just make me feel better. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks go down and now here you are eating the fast food again. So it's, I don't know, man, it's, it, is it because we don't want to admit it? Is it because we, uh, we're so insatiable when it comes to this food? Are we addicted? Or is there chemicals in the food that's maybe making us addicted? Like, yeah, you know, we, what's yeah, making definitely us have. Kind of keep gorging? All right, let's go down this rabbit hole. Let's do this thing. Let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> so, know. so yeah, there's, um, there's been a, you know, a societal change in, in over the last 50, 70 years or so what used to be what our, what our grandparents called food, you know, is no longer that. And so there's been this shift where ultra processed food has crowded out real food. And as that mm -hmm. has occurred, um, and the overconsumption of ultra processed food has increased in the last 50 or so years, obesity in the United States for adults has gone from 15% in 1970 to 43% today. And it's projected to be 50%, not just over, not overweight, obese by 2030. 50% of us in the United States that were adults will be obese by 2030 is the projection. I think they're totally on pace for that. That isn't something that I think, ah, that's a little bit. No, I think it's by, by the way things are going. So we're definitely going in the wrong direction. So what's going on? Why weren't we as obese prior to whatever, 1950, 60, 70, whatever, whatever number in there you want to pick. Again, what I'm going to say is we live in an incredibly obesogenic society. Obesogenic just simply meaning all things that contribute to uh, behaviors that promote obesity. Okay. Mm. So in, as a part of that obesogenic, uh, environment, we've got huge, think about the number of fast food chains overall compared to 1950. It's staggering hundreds of thousands of fast food chains in the United States now, when there were almost none back then. Um, so they're everywhere that Franken food, ultra processed food, food, like substance, pick your, pick your term for it. It's just not food. Yeah. Uh, pick anything other than food. Don't call it food. Just call it any of those other three and you and we'll be good. It's cheap. It's super available. It's 24 seven. Same thing with convenience marts. We as a species aren't used to having 24 seven access. We're not used to having the super calorie dense addictive <clears throat> substances that uh, masquerade as food today. We're not used to that as a species. Yeah. You know, we have a biological drive to calorie dense and we have a really almost unlimited ability to store fat. And, and that is because there were times in our past hundreds of years ago where food wasn't always plentiful. So we needed that gene. We've still got them, um, except that now it's all, it's all being hacked and screwed up because ultra processed foods are changing our genes uh, from an epigenetic perspective and they're changing the mind. They're rewiring the mind. They're, they're creating users rather than consumers these ultra processed foods are so you've got and just think about advertising don't you just think about advertising yeah. when's the last time you saw brussels sprouts advertised in a commercial you know yeah come on you know i don't care if it's a billboard social media television it doesn't matter what it is take your pick it's always going to be ultra processed garbage 
-hmm. So we've got, I, I characterized it as there's a monkey banana relationship going on here. We're all just monkeys, all of us. We're all mm -hmm. monkeys and corporations are monkeys and politicians are monkeys. We're all monkeys. What's the banana? Well, profit is the banana uh, so often at the corporate level and profit, you know, ends up driving lobbyists and profit ends up driving, um, you know, uh, big money to keep certain uh, politicians uh, enacting legislation and blah, blah, blah. Uh, money. In fact, you know, the, the Academy of Dietetics, the, one, the organization that certifies registered dietitians in the United States, um, a, a study came out just recently, within the last couple of months, a study came out showing that that organization who certifies registered dietitians, which should be the authoritative source on nutrition, the valued, trusted source, um, is, uh, is for sure in cahoots with big, with big Food. Big Food sponsors them. They're invested in Big Food. Wow. Um, and so here's the thing. I think that companies as a whole have really good people in those companies. I don't look at corporations and companies as this is a malevolent, you know, yeah. just as nasty, evil. I don't look at it that way, but I do look at the monkey banana relationship. And what do companies want? Profit. How do they get it? Repeat buyers. What, right. What's the primary driver to get repeat buyers? Create people who love the product so much they'll buy it again and again and again. At mm -hmm. all costs, maybe not all costs, but close. Close. And, yeah. and we've got an FDA that's overburdened and overworked. They can't oversee the more than 3,000 industrial additives that are in our food supply now. A lot of people don't know. They might have heard of something in the FDA if they're a really big reader and nerdy person in this area, or they might know of something called generally recognized as safe grass. Yep. You know, a substance is grass. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, and I, I forget the terminology, maybe you, uh, it, you know, if not, I'll research it later, but there's a certain level of chemicals also that were allowed in yeah. foods. So yeah. these, these large amount of chemicals, if you took, let's say like salt's a good one. I mean, you take a cup of salt to the face, you'll die, but right. Yeah. But these are actual other chemicals that you can't even pronounce. Yeah. We're allowed where it shows, it shows uh, that it has cancerous effects down the road. But they figured out the right amount to just just below the threshold that yeah. won't kill us. That's what it, the FDA actually allows, and that's because you know there's, and as you know, there's not a lot of studies. I mean, you can't really, unless you're taking a hundred people and you're following exactly what they eat all the time, every single day, eating the same thing, doing the same thing. These companies, these large companies, are going to be able to put anything they they want in the food. Because yeah. there's just, there's no way to prove that that one chemical or that one product is killing us because there's right. no way to do a mass study on that. Nope. And it's unfortunate. And the uh, big food with regard to new additives of some kind, they basically in-house only have to show reasonably, not some large scale, 200,000 person human study, but just right. reasonably show that this new additive isn't harmful. Not right. that it's, you know, and, and not long-term, just that it's not harmful. If they can, like they right can now. add it to it. Yeah. And then it's later on, it may be evaluated when deaths or sickness or cancers occur, where finally somebody will go, wow, we're, we're really seeing something here. So yeah. what's in our food supply has not been balanced and checked by the FDA, like a lot of people think. Um, over 3,000, you know, industrial additives in in our in our food supply. 
this incredibly obesogenic environment. Um, to, and also, as a part of that obesogenic environment, ultra-processed food is addictive. That in and of itself yeah. becomes an obesogenic factor. Because when you create, look, there are internal documents, Tony, there are internal documents in fast food industry where they, 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 uh, they have named, defined their best customers as heavy users. Substance abuse. I mean, it's, it is yeah. what it is. And so people yeah. aren't aware of that. And one of the reasons they're not aware is because if you think about it, the messaging at the very top by the most trusted sources, again, registered dietitians and health professionals and big policy initiatives and so on and so on and so on. Our government, um, USDA, FDA, uh, Department of Health and Human Services, you name it, they put out the food guide pyramids and the food guide guidelines. Oof. They are also influenced by money and, they, yeah. and they've got this all things in moderation, all things in moderation, all things in moderation, nothing's off limits, nothing's bad. You wouldn't say that to somebody addicted to crack. No. You wouldn't even say it about somebody addicted to alcohol or nicotine. Yeah. All things in moderation. Really? All things? All the time? Here's what I say. All things in moderation, including moderation. So sometimes, not for all, nothing's uniform across the board, but people are very much unaware of how addicted this garbage is. And sometimes in certain instances, at certain times, in certain places, with certain uh, ultra processed foods, sometimes zero is better than one. Mm. And yeah. so all of these factors are combining to this biological drive that's an inherent in us. And, um, and, and people are just very unaware and it's, it's the approach is often taken with too much of a minimized perspective. Like again, like the people that were first emailing me, Hey, when you get a chance, no big deal. I right. just, I just want to lose like 30 pounds and keep it off forever. <laughs> do you know how rare that is? Yeah. You know, when you do it, when you try to do it standard, eat less exercise, more calories in, calories out, take personal responsibility, have a good day. Right. Yeah. That's the, Oh, a moderation by the way, in all things. So moderation in all things, eat less exercise, more take the stairs instead of the elevator, which don't get me wrong. That's good. We want mm -hmm. that park further from Walmart's front door. Got it. That's good too. And if you just do those super basic things, all things in moderation, um, eat less exercise, more, you're good to go. Well, here we are 43% obese. We were 15% in 1970. What I have to say to what I have to say to these massive organizations that have been able to deliver the message that is consumed by the masses of all things in moderation and nothing's off limits and don't pay attention to that man behind the curtain kind of thing, you know, American Academy of Dietetics and so forth and other organizations that are big enough to have the influence, you're doing a bad job. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we've, what we do, and that's enough negative, what we do is make sure, and it's really important that we make sure that people understand what they're really facing. This is not hopeless. This is not something where we have to, I don't know. I, we, we, I can say this, we can't wait for a top-down approach. Right. Yeah. There's too much money. Yeah. There's just too much money at the top and there's too much money being fed to politicians, too much money being fed to big food, too much money being fed to the Academy of Dietetics. There's too much money being fed to all of these organizations for them to really honestly take a look at what the messaging is and see why it doesn't work. 
and give us the right message. So yeah. from a bottom up perspective, little guys like me and other people that might share a similar message where we say, hey, this isn't about you got 100% go real food. This isn't about all or nothing. It's about let's flip it. Here's the deal. 60 to 90% of what Americans consume is ultra processed food. 60 to 90%. Okay. That wasn't the case in 1950, 60, whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do, one of the things we want to do at that, I call it the mechanical level, mechanical meaning it's nutrition and exercise. Then we get the emotional, psychological stuff. But at the mechanical level, one of the things we want to do is maybe not think so much about what we take away, but start adding more real food. And I'd like to give a definition of what I consider real food, but add more real food because what's happened is ultra processed food has crowded out real food. Mm -hmm. We want to start reversing that, have real food increase, start crowding out ultra processed food. When we do that, we're going to be moving in the right direction. That's right. Um, and you know, it even goes not to interrupt you. Um, but it even goes into, you know, little things like kind of changing your mindset a little bit on our relationship with food when it comes to not just the food that we're intaking, but the corporations behind it, like you mentioned before. And it's fascinating to me, uh, and I'll get into this in a, in a sec if you like, but I had to recently switch to being plant-based um, just because of some health conditions. And I've tried a, a lot of things and um, you know, be a pescatarian and cutting out red meat and, and all that stuff. Eventually, plant-based is just the way to go. Uh, not by choice. I'm Italian. It's, it's against every single thing that I believe in my core, yeah. but it's the only thing that makes me feel good, unfortunately. So, but I say that because then I started really questioning my relationship with the types of food and beverages that I was intake. I'll use milk as an example. And this is all coming back to the consumer, us. We need to change what we think and what we perceive our relationship is with the corporation because corporations will change their entire model for us. We're buying all this bullshit, which is why they're just sticking to their guns and not doing anything. You look at dairy in particular as a great example, milk uh, specifically. But the entire milk industry was dumbfounded. The fact that five years ago, someone would actually prefer almond milk and oat milk versus dairy milk. And then we start diving into factory farming and all that type of stuff. And I'd love to get your opinion on that stuff. But now as the consumers were like, well, fuck you, TJ Lee. Fuck you, milk. I'm not going to drink this now. So now a lot of these big corporations are switching to plant-based stuff. And is that better for your health or not? That's for each person to decide. But the point is, though, the corporations, even like Tyson, are now transitioning into doing more plant-based options instead of chicken because we said we don't want you to farm chicken that way. So we have the power. Us as the consumer, we have a lot more power than you think. In fact, we got all the power because if we stop buying one specific thing, they'll switch real quick. But it's like the real estate market. If we keep buying these houses at a high price, they're just going to keep raising the prices. Right. But if we all look at each other and say, you know what? We're not going to buy any more houses. We're only going to rent. Guess what happens to the market overnight real quick? Drops $100,000 for a house. Yeah. We as the consumer have a lot of power. And I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on that aspect too, because I'm sure with a lot of different people you work with, nutrition is you know, that's a, that's a huge part of it, but every single person is different. So I'm curious yeah. what you think about that. Uh, I love, you know, the way you phrased our relationship, even with big corporations, it, it doesn't need to be us against them, but 
we need to understand the monkey mm. and what their banana is and their mm. banana is profit. So we do have incredible power and we are seeing change. And I'm encouraged by that. It's not enough yet. It's got a long way to go. I don't know if we'll ever get there from our bottom up, but we here's the thing. I will say this. I don't know if at the, the mass level, it'll get to where we want it from our bottom up initiatives of vote with our pocketbook, right? When we right. vote with our pocketbook and we say, hey, I'm not buying that package product because it doesn't meet Dave's adapted definition of real food. And <laughs> I want things that meet Dave's defini adapted definition of real food or I'm not buying it. And if we don't, the corporations go, whoa, sales of that product stunk. What's going on? Well, they have enough money to do you know, polls and they have no money to do focus groups. And they figure out that people go, I don't want it because I can't, I have no idea what's in this. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't want the ultra processed garbage because I know, because Dave told me, and he, he quoted the research and Dave said, the research says ultra processed food is doing this and this and this and this and this. I don't want it long-term. I don't want it. I don't want it because it changes gene expression. I can pass it on to my kids on and on and on. So I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy the thing. It may be still packaged, but it doesn't have the garbage in it and it's still real food or really close. And the companies go, Hey, guess what? People don't want this garbage anymore. So we need to figure out how to make it taste good and have it not be garbage. And guess what? Just like you said, they will make changes. They already have made changes. And here's the thing. Again, I don't know how far we'll get with this. We've, we've made some nice uh, headway, but at the individual level, at the person listening to this level, even if it doesn't get to a societal, holy cow, we've got an amazing supermarket. Now you as an individual, when you make the choices, you're going to feel better, live better, function better, mentally better, less dementia, anxiety, depression, joints are going to hurt less. Um, you're going to be at a weight that you want to be. You're going to be healthier. You're going to be fitter. All the things you want individually can occur, even if all these other changes societally don't change. Yeah. But I 100% agree with you. And I love the way you said it, that it, there's a think about it. Think about the relationship, not just that you have with food, which I'm throwing in quotes, <laughs> but what the corporations, what do they want? They want profit. Yeah. And, you know, you, you look at it. Uh like 50 years ago, you know, I love what you were saying about uh, back in the 70s, you know, what what's changed from 1970 to today, you know, cancer rates are up, chronic disease is up. Me personally, I, I suffer from Crohn's disease. And uh, I just, you know, found this out four or five years ago. And I was very healthy for my entire life. The only difference between what I was eating and what people in the 1970s were eating was food. You know, that's the only change um, to our health. Anyway, it's not like, we put up a bunch of skyscrapers and then automatically people started getting cancer. That's not how it works. The right. only thing that's changed in the last, you know, 50 years has been the amount of food that we're intaking. And maybe, you know, you could argue and say the less sunlight and all that stuff. But in terms of like chronic diseases, that's really the only thing that's changed and studies are, are linked to the, the food that we intake. So we have to think to ourselves, what is more important? Is it longevity of life or is it how good that cheesecake tastes on a Friday night. And yeah, sure, it's okay to indulge and things like that. But I think the problem that we have as a society, for whatever reason, um, maybe it's the whole YOLO mentality and, you know, we want to live like rock stars and we just treat our bodies like an amusement park because it's cool. Um, for some reason, we don't think that far ahead. You know, we don't think if I have this bag of Cheetos, it's just today. No big deal. I won't eat it tomorrow. But you don't understand like what that Cheetos is doing, not to your body right there, but there's addictive properties in there that's going to make you want to buy it more. 
Yeah. You know, the best example of this type of narcotic is cigarettes. That's the best example. Because back in the day, I think it was, I don't know, I want to say 80 years ago or 90 years, doctors were recommending cigarettes to patients. Sure. Yep. And then here we are, 100 years later or whatever it was. Yep. Now we realize it causes cancer, lung cancer, yep. and all types of other crazy illnesses and the type of poison you're putting in your body. So some of us choose to not do it. And hopefully those people that choose not to do it aren't going to be getting cancer. The people that are smoking the cigarettes, they have a higher chance of getting cancer. And you could say that with food. The amount of food that you intake and the types of food and the whole foods that you do intake, you're going to have a better chance of living a longer, healthier life than someone who eats nothing but fast food. But for whatever reason, we don't think that far ahead to where we're like, I don't want to eat the fast food, you know, long term. I don't want to be like that long term. And then some of us say, I don't care. I want to, you know. I want that cheeseburger yeah. from McDonald's. Like, there's weird. um, you know, it's it, it is fascinating. People are confused too, with regard to there are again some people, a number of again dietitians, all things in moderation, <laughs> who say that we can't be addicted to food. But here's the thing: they don't delineate real food from the rest. Everything mm. is food. And they say, we can't be addicted to food. For one reason, they'll say we can't be addicted to food is it's necessary for life. And we, we can't be addicted to things supposedly that are necessary for life. Hmm. Um, but here's the deal. So when you talk about nicotine, which of course tobacco lied to us for 50 years and said it wasn't addictive and they had all the hidden documents in-house, the same thing's going on with big food right now. Um, but here's, so, and one of the things that big food, fast food, you name it, has um, at least for now, until people become educated on real food versus ultra processed food, and it really gets separated is they'll say, look, with cigarettes, it was nicotine. We knew what it was. Mm -hmm. Eliminate the nicotine. We can eliminate the addiction done. We know what we need to get rid of cigarettes, tobacco, not necessary for life. You get rid of that. And we got it. I know the culprit. We can find it. We know what it is. We can pinpoint it. Golly gee whiz. How do we possibly do that with food? Well, you know what? It's pretty tough when you're defining food as just anything you put in your mouth that you eat, right. but I don't. And so here's the deal. We aren't addicted to real food. We're addicted to processed food, ultra processed food. So real food, my adaptation is whole or minimally processed edible parts of plant and animal where if anything's been added to it, it's only whole or minimally processed ingredients commonly found in kitchens. Mm. That's a great definition. So it's, yeah. it's a little wordy, but let me say it again, just so someone says, wait, what the hell did he say? Yeah. Whole or minimally processed edible parts of plant and animal, where if anything's been added to it, it's only whole or minimally processed ingredients commonly found in kitchens. So with that, it's easy now to figure out where the addictive substances are. No one's addicted to chicken breast and broccoli. That's right. No That's one. That's right. Yeah. And take and chicken breast and broccoli is just an umbrella for take any single ingredient animal-based product, take any single ingredient fruit, vegetable, grain, take any, you know, a single ingredient doesn't necessarily that's a little bit too um, restrictive uh, even for my definition, but anyway, you get the idea. No one's addicted to that. If they're addicted to anything, if I was to say to you to to any listener what would almost bring tears to your eyes if this is where you are? And if there are people that are just like, food's no big deal to me. Okay, then this isn't going to apply to you. But for the, 
for the other 70% of people who are listening, right. who are overweight, you know, uh, perhaps, you know, I don't know. That's just across the United States. But what item that you consume or drink would have you in almost tears, and I'm not kidding, if we said you can never have that again? Now, that doesn't mean that you can't ever have it again. But is there something that comes to mind if I said you can never have that again? What is the thing that would, that would have you go, oh, my God. And I guarantee you, it's not chicken breast and broccoli. No. It's going to be an ultra processed food. Mm-hmm. What, what, so what's going on there? I wonder why. Well, hmm. Yeah, I wonder why. So um, we can be addicted to processed, ultra processed yeah. food. We're not going to be addicted to real food. That is one of the obesogenic factors. Again, keeps coming. As, it, what it does is it creates compulsive overeaters. And com- compulsive, that word basically basically means irrational behavior despite negative consequences. Like we know, and a person will say, how do you think that constant, bear with me, ice cream cookies and Big Macs is doing for you? And they'll be like, stinks. I know it's not good for me, but I I just can't stop. And that's because, yeah, you're addicted. You know, it's, It's 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 like cravings, right? Like people always talk about, oh, I'm craving cheesecake tonight, or I'm craving, if that food didn't exist, and you never had it, would you crave it? No. No, because, but that's, that's, the, that's the beauty of addictive, subs, addictive substances like cigarettes yeah. to where I used to be a smoker way back in the day. And I, I could speak firsthand that when I stopped smoking, the changes that my body, the withdrawals is now what I know it is, the withdrawals I went through and then immediately following, I don't crave cigarettes anymore. Because I have eradicated that from my entire system. And when you start doing that with food, you get a very similar effect to where you go through withdrawals. It's challenging. It might take a couple of weeks, might take a couple of months, but I'm at the point now to where I actually grow my own fruits and veggies. And when I tell you my salads are like, yeah, they're, they actually are, this is where I'm going to push back a, a little bit, coach, because those are addicting to me. Oh yeah, when, good. right. When you have that good. fresh salad, like I, yeah. if there's any listeners out there that have ever made your own salad, where I don't even wash it because I I cook it at home. I have this thing called uh, my garden. It's like this um, uh, PVC pipe uh, powered by artificial intelligent type of thing, and it takes you know six to eight weeks to grow uh, certain sprouts. But you know I'll pick off kale and and lettuce and and bok choy and like all this stuff and I'll pick it off and do it. I don't even wash it because there's no pesticides, there's no insects. And I just pick it off, put it in a bowl, throw a little bit of a plant-based dressing on it and I eat it. And that is a unbelievable meal for me compared to a salad that I would buy at like Publix or Kroger. You know, because that, even that stuff, people don't know. Not only is it sprayed with a bunch of chemicals and bullshit that you don't know, but before it even hits your bowl, it's touched a thousand hands. But when you can actually have meals that you cook and prepare yourself at home and you can eliminate the amount of people touching that, you could taste the difference. And once you taste that whole food and you don't want anything else, like, you know, my, my, my dad and my family and they all occasionally they'll go out and they'll grab some food from another place. And I'm like, yeah, I'll try it. And then I taste that salad or that piece of chicken at a restaurant versus like what I can cook at home. Yeah. You know, it's come on. It's there. You can't compare to what you no. cook at home. And, I'll, and I'll tell you what, I'll be happy to uh, take, uh, you know, an outlier of uh, addicted to your salads and be wrong. I'll be happy to. I'll be, 
I'll be, I will like, I'll, I want everybody to get addicted to Tony salads. I want everybody <laughs> addicted to this. They salad, are pretty, you know? they are pretty stout. And you know, exactly. I, I will, I will say, uh, I love what you said about processed foods and, and if you do have whole foods, occasionally it might have some other stuff, but uh, what a lot of people don't understand is when you look, cause I was in the beverage industry and the food industry for a while after training. A lot of people don't understand that the reason there's so much bullshit and chemicals, I don't think it started with companies wanting to kill us. Let's just make that abundantly clear here as yeah, we close this out. Right. They Are they greedy and money hungry? 100%. But it all started with a couple guys or gals getting together in a room wanting to make food to feed the, the world. Yeah. And you look at like bread as a, probably I think the greatest example of what we could have versus where we're at now. Because if you look at bread now and the amount of bullshit that's in bread and the chemicals and the ingredients, and I make my own bread as well, me and my father. My father mostly, I have my own pizza dough that I'll make, but he makes fresh bread. It's four ingredients. For people who don't know, it's four ingredients. It's water, flour, egg, and I think yeast. I think those are the four. So those four ingredients, you can make bread in your oven. You don't need anything special. You can make it at home. But the reason companies don't do that and put it on the shelves at a Publix or a Kroger is because it goes bad in 24 hours. Right. Because it's fresh. They put sure. all that bullshit and chemicals in so it lasts longer, which means we can right. have it in the shelves. And as the consumers, we have options. So it's like we, we have to understand that we could do this stuff at home. We can have whole foods. And by the way, it's a lot cheaper. And we can have all this stuff at home. But it takes time and it takes work and energy. And But this is what it takes to be healthy and to live long. You know. And you know, the thing is, is that I think there's a, there's a good, better, best too, right? If we mm -hmm. were truly like making our own bread at home and by the way, is that real food by Dave's definition? Yeah. yeah. Ingredients commonly found in kitchens, whole or minimally processed, right? Edible parts of plant and animal ingredients commonly found in kitchens. Tony's bread. Got it. You know, you know, so, uh, but here's the thing. Good on a good, better, best for an everyday person goes, oh my God, there's no way in hell I'm going to make everything myself. You don't have to, that's a best. That's yeah. just, that's a best, but there's a good and a better before that. That's still much better than what, you know, adults in the United States are doing with their 60 to 90% ultra processed food. You just increase it by a vegetable a day, by a fruit a day, mm. by, you know, trying to pick, you know, real, if you're, if you're, um, you know, omnivore or whatever, where you can at least pick, you know, animal flesh that is single ingredient to the best of your ability. And if, of course, if you can, uh, make sure it was raised right, you know, pastured, grass-fed, so on and so on. Um, do the best you can because whatever they eat, we eat. And so that that right. matters. And impact on the environment, all these things that are good. That's And that's there's a good, better, best there too. But if nothing else, because you're like, I just can't afford $17 uh, pound chicken breast. Okay. Right. All right. Well, then at least go to chicken breast. You know, don't get me wrong. There's, it's, you know, the factory farming and all that. I got it. But if I can have somebody eat that at least especially one that is trying to do a good job even though it's factory farmed and all that i'll take that any day of the week over chicken nuggets right of course you know so Makes um sense, yeah. and, and the thing is there's like frozen vegetables and here's the thing when i grew up i i thought i hated vegetables um my mom god lover she mm. cooked six nights a week okay and, but when it came to vegetables, we had, we had a lot of canned vegetables. They were less expensive. They, they sure. lasted longer. And, uh, when, uh, when I grew up, uh, mom needed to make the money stretch a little bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. So great. But I thought I hated vegetables and it wasn't until I was an adult and we started buying fresh 
just fresh store, regular, you know, vegetables where I went, oh, well, that's totally different. That green bean doesn't taste like canned and this broccoli (laughs) doesn't taste anything like this. And, and I thought, and, and I learned, and of course, take it a level up to where you are, you're growing your own. Um, It's going to, it's, it is going to taste better, but I got to say rice, cauliflower, frozen ingredient one ingredient yeah it's rice four and a half minutes it's microwave put it in soups put it in your eggs put it in anything that you want to you know where you can hide there's no flavor hardly to it anyway but it, you know but where you can hide vegetables bring in yeah. more of that and um start crowding out the other because as the nutrients go up as the fiber goes up as the bulk goes up you'll be fuller um, your body's going to thank you for the nutrients and it's going to respond in a favorable way. You won't be as hungry as soon. You, you know, you eat, you eat ultra processed food and you can be hungry an hour later. Yeah. It, it's, and you know, by the way, it's not like you're just having like one burger. Like when you oh, no. go and eat that processed crap, usually it's like five, I don't know, a thousand to like 1500 calories in one sure. sitting. Oh, and yeah. you look at that, like if you laid it out and someone that didn't know anything about food and all that processed food, you like burgers and fries and beer and you look at all that, you're like, that's going to fill me up for like 10 hours. No, yeah. an hour and a half later, two hours, you're ready to eat again. Yeah. And just that alone should wake people up a little bit. But yeah, it's just, it's one of those funky things, man, where it tastes good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I get it. I, I know why food is, mm-hmm. I know why people do it, Um, you know, but we have to just change that relationship. And I talk a lot about this on my podcast to where you don't need food as much as you think you do. And um, food's important, of course, for a lot of different, but you can go days without food and be completely fine. Water, you can't really go that long with. And water is very important because we're 70% water. We're not 70% food. We're just not, you know, as long as you can get your nutrients, you just have to change that relationship a little bit and just understand that if these foods didn't exist, we wouldn't crave them. We wouldn't want Chick-fil-A every Saturday, but because everyone's lined up on a Saturday and they're closed on Sunday, you want Chick-fil-A, but just get it out of your head that it's not that important. And you know, it's, it's going to save you a lot of money. It's going to save you a lot of time and longevity of life. I mean, this look at where we're at in the world right now. It's insane that if if you just looked at this and said 50 years down the road, I'm 37, so I'm going to be in my 80s. The world is going to be this weird, everyone flying in cars and you and AI technology, and it's going to be an amazing place to live. Don't you want to be around for that shit? Like, just last a little bit longer, man. Take take care of what you're eating and what you're doing, and and uh, so you can live to see how, how this world's going to end up. A lot of cool shit going on. There's a... Uh you know, from, from this chair and doing it as long as I have, I think that obviously a lot of what you said is, you know, spot on, but a lot of what you said is if we're looking at it from a rational position, once someone is addicted, rationality isn't necessarily no longer a factor, but it is greatly minimized because the thinking is distorted. Um, the thinking is cloudy. The, the cognition is reduced. IQ is reduced. The, uh, frontal, lobe for executive function is reduced. So all the things where you're like, come on, man, just go long, you know, just don't just push away from the table, stay away from Chick-fil-A. It's very yeah. rational. But until someone, as you had, had said, I'll use your phrasing because I, I do really like it, change your relationship with the corporations until you at least begin to accept that there are some things 
that are ultra processed that could be addictive. And then you start to learn more about that, which is, you know, one of the things that we've, again, nutrition and exercise, give me an hour on nutrition. I'll tell you what you need to know. You'll be good to go. Give me an hour on exercise. I'll give you the basics for health and fitness. You'll be good to go. What puts those, what puts the rubber on the road? What takes it from, here's a rational proposition. Why don't you just do it to how do we make it important to you? And so I, I would say to people, ration, rationality, good. Um, keep that in mind. We need that. Um, we need to at least know rationally what's going on. You know, what, what will, is, does it make sense that we'll be healthier if we do these things? Yes. Okay, good. We start there and then we got to move to the emotional. We got to then look at what's driving. We all have willpower. We all have willpower. You've mm -hmm. done hard things. Everyone listening has done hard things that took a long time, advanced degree, career, build a business, whatever you did, you've done hard things that took a long time. That took willpower. If you're of an age and you have small children, I'll ask this question, and they're at school and you have to pick them up, whether it's soccer practice or after school or whatever, when's the last time you just blew it off? <laughs> Never. You don't blow it off. If you're late by 10 minutes, you, as a parent, you, you're like, you beat yourself up for five years because you feel so bad. Okay. So you don't leave the, you don't leave the child there. Are you always in a good mood when you go to pick up the kid? No. Do you even want to always go pick up? You want the kid, but do you want to be the one to have to go pick them up? No. Are you sick sometimes when you do it? Yes. Do you have no energy because you got three hours of sleep when you go do it sometimes? Yes. All of that is willpower. Willpower is the ability to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, whether you feel like it or not. Mm. And so the things that drive willpower have to be addressed. What's driving willpower for weight management? What's driving willpower for improving your health and fitness? I can say this. It is greatly underestimated what it's going to take for why power. You got to have a strong why. The reason you pick up your kid and you're never late, your why for doing so is incredibly strong. You can't imagine the fallout in yourself and all the ramifications potentially to the child who doesn't feel loved and on and on and on if you don't pick up your, your, your child on time. That why has to be developed. People don't know how to do that. They don't know. Here's what you'll say. Hey, what do you want to do? I'll go back to the client real quick, Dave. You can help me lose 30 pounds. Why do you want to lose the 30 pounds? You know, dude, I just want to feel healthier. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's not enough. But that's my why. Well, then we're going to, now we're going to start drilling. And it's not going to just be health. It's going to be this and this and this and this and this. So one, what we do that to me is a big separator is besides, first of all, teaching the reality and, and the, the truth behind what nutrition is without it being dogmatic. There's a great flexibility in our framework for nutrition at, you know, at Leanest Lifestyle. And exercise, we get the basics there, got it. We got to see what's driving willpower. We got to see what the person's why is, and we got to meet them where they are and figure out for, for that person, what is driving them to want to do this? Because we can say, their hey, why. Yeah. Yeah. You can say down the road, don't you know, it's going to be good. What, what is, what is, what about now? Mm. What about in the next two weeks? What about in the next month? What are you going to get for it? And we can start with all these things. We've got to look at addiction and we've got to look at emotional fitness. Yeah. We've got to look at the things that help us be better life managers. The stress of the day. Anxiety is off the charts in the United States right now, right? There are more people on anxiety medications right now than probably ever before in our, our nation's history. There's so much anxiety going on. Part of it, I'm going to say, besides societal change, which, of course, food is a part of societal change, mm 
Yeah. But just beside, let's say you just put food to the side for a minute, all the other social aspects and just all the things going on, COVID, pol politics, you name it. Um, we've got, we've got all of these factors that are uh, adding to um, anxiety. And uh, what we know is ultra processed food increases anxiety. We know it does. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just adding just, you know, fire or wood to the fire yeah. on, on all of that. And people aren't aware of that. So as we help people to manage their life better and manage the stress better, they're able to put a small space between what we call the stimulus and the response. So the stimulus is what's going on today. What are you, what was the ready? What was the, you know what? I got the, I got the thing from the boss. I just had yeah. an argument with the spouse. I had this happen. I feel like the, I feel like my wheels have fallen off. I feel like I feel overwhelmed in this moment. I've felt this before. This happens time and time again, whatever the situation is, it's a stimulus. And we typically have a response that can be conditioned. Mm. And there's a payoff short term for the ultra processed food. So it's like, here's the stimulus, whatever it may be, we're conditioned to go to ultra processed food for just a moment. We zone out, we get a dopamine bump, we're able to relax, it gives us a, yeah. a five minute calming, and then we just regret, regret, regret. But in that moment, there's a payoff that's conditioned. When we are stronger with emotional fitness, which can be taught, it's not eye color, it's not something that you're stuck with, you're like, well, I'm just emotionally developed at this point, at, you know, at this level, and this as far as I can go. We can yeah. all grow uh, that we can all have, through personal growth and through uh, the strategies for developing emotional fitness, we can grow in that area. And when we do, when that stimulus occurs, the stimulus, we may not be able to avoid. But between the stimulus and the response, there is that space. And it's in that space where if we become stronger with emotional fitness, we can choose the different response. So yeah, and, all and these factors huge. come in and I'll hush all these factors come in that take us way beyond even nutrition and exercise, which we can teach in an hour. I spend all of my time as a coach. Look, we get the nutrition and exercise. We get it up. We get it out front because everybody comes and says, Dave, give me the, what do I got to eat? How do I exercise? Because I know that's it. You know, I know what to do. I just need to do it. Just give me the, you know, give me the seven day diet plan or whatever. <laughs> give me the exercise plan and, and off I'll go. Thanks so much. Some of them come to me with that. A lot of people come with a general, a generality of that mindset. And we'll start with that because we do, they do have to know what to eat. You sure. know, generally speaking, need a framework and exercise, but then we spend all of our time on why addiction, if there is and emotional fitness, because all of those elements are working to keep the nutrition and exercise on the consistency road. Yeah. That's for the long term, right? That's for people that are in it for the long haul, for sure. You know, like, and I always, I always talk about this too with my buddies and shit where y you look at working out as a whole, like, cause I do a lot of like contrast therapy and ice baths and sauna and things yeah. like that. And it sucks. Like I don't, I do it every morning. I wake up, I take the plunge in 35, 40 degree, you know, especially Ooh. like today. today was brutal because, yeah. Today it was so cold outside. Like I didn't even really have to ice my barrel. I have this big thing called ice barrel at home okay. and I usually just fill it with like 40 pounds of ice every day. But today I didn't really have to. So it was not only really cold outside, but it was always cold in that fucking tub. And wow. I hate doing it for five minutes every day. But when yeah. I get out, talk about stress and anxiety. That is eradicated. 
And then I'll go right to my infrared sauna that I have and I'll just sit in there for 30 minutes and listen to a podcast or something. And when you get done, it's 40 minutes of my day and then I'll do some working out later in the day. But that's 40 minutes of my morning that I could be on my phone. I could be watching an episode on Netflix, but I'm choosing to do that even though it sucks now. But I know the science and the research and everything that you're talking about, everything is backed by science and research. We're down the road it's going to be beneficial to me. And if I got to sacrifice 30, 40 minutes a day to make sure that I can have a long, healthy life with my family, I'm going to do it. And again, I think as we get older, we start to understand that when things start breaking down, like mine did, you know, like when, when I started uh, breaking down at the age of 30, I'm like, I need to figure out what, what's going on. Cause I thought I was healthy until shit starts, you know, until shit like stops working and you're like, Oh, I should probably dive deeper into why my body's not working anymore. Yeah, and yeah. Your, your body's just constantly, I forget who it was. It was some comedian that said at the age of 35 or 30, your body literally is just dying. Like that's when it's on track to, it's yeah. slowly dying. And how, how you're going to go through the next 67 years of your life of your, or, you know, if you're lucky, um, that's going to dictate a, a lot of what you do on a daily basis. So you just got to be, you got to be cognizant of that. And, um, I, uh, I, I, I tell my, my, we've got grown kids, 28 to, 33. And I tell them, I said, look, evolution says that I'm a waste and that I'm just using resources. Your dad is just, your dad is just using resources. So it doesn't really care if I live or die. So I've got to do everything I can to try to outwit and outsmart it. Cause it's saying, Hey, he's taking resources for those that are still young enough to procreate. And we That's need right. the ones young enough to procreate. And this old guy here, we don't need him anymore. So, you know, the source, they, uh, they laugh, right. but there's, there is some evolutionary truth, truth to, to that. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's why back in the day before modern medicine, I mean, you know, guys and gals were going to live until the age of 45 because once they right. pop out kids, there's, you know. Yeah. You, we don't need you don't... anymore. <laughs> Later. <laughs> yes. We're, we're going to have like famine or some some disease wipe you guys out. Right. Um, but hey, listen, I, I didn't realize, so we're over an hour already. I want to be cognizant of your time. Um, I could talk to you for hours, so maybe I'll, I'll have you back on if, if you're open sure. to it. Um, but I always ask these, I always ask this one question for every one of my guests. And that is in the last 12 months, uh, what is one thing that maybe you didn't know that is, um, that has allowed you to be a better human in the last 12 months? What have you learned that maybe has made you a better human that you didn't know before? I'm evolving so much all the time, just with continued personal growth, um, that it's hard to, it's really hard to, to put my finger on it. And I'm so immersed in all things that are personal growth. It's hard. It really is hard to, to put my finger on. I would say that, let me, let me answer it this way because I can be, I can more honestly answer it for sure this way. So I don't know. I should have prepped for that question. Don't I don't know in the last 12 months, it, the kind of the single thing because the things I've talked about today have evolved and have continued to evolve. But I will say this, a incredible change 20 some years ago was when as a coach, I was, uh, eat less, exercise more calories in, calories out, you know, and, uh, bringing in some of the emotional fitness. But I talked to, um, Kay Shepard who was and is an obesity, um, addiction, an addiction expert not obesity mm. an addiction, a food addiction expert, food, uh, self-defined food addict herself and wrote a book on it. 
she's wrote a number of books on it. She has an inpatient clinic, so on and so on. She's been doing this a long time, much longer than I have with regard specifically to food addiction. She's not a health coach. What she shared with me, I have used ever since and, and grown with and expanded upon. And it completely changed how I addressed my clients, my compassion for them. It helped me understand why these really intelligent, good, hardworking, otherwise successful people were screwing up, throwing that in quotes, were screwing up on this supposedly easy calories in, calories out, all things in moderation thing. It helped mm -hmm. explain the irrationality and it became something that still continues to, as I've continued to read and expand my knowledge on, you know, the addictive space. But it, it what really was a watershed moment for me 20 years ago when I talked to her and my whole world changed for coaching at that point, because I was like, now it makes sense, at least in great part. So I can answer your question honestly there. That has continued to expand. And I'll I'll continue to think on what it uh, what if there's anything specifically, you know, in the last year that has, uh, you know, made a, made a significant impact for me. There's yeah. just so many little things that I can't put my finger on one. Yeah. And, and sometimes, I mean, that's the case, you know, where it's, it's all these little, I mean, I'm very similar to you in the last 12 months, I've learned a lot. Um, you know, not just with my overall health, but just mental health and all the research that I've been doing lately. And I was fortunate enough to work with a, uh, a health and wellness company that I was a consultant for them for quite some time and just diving more into, researching about foods and supplements. And like I talked about in the beginning of this show where you don't realize uh, that every single supplement you take, not a lot of them are, again, NSF certified. The FDA doesn't approve it. So you're putting in, let's say, uh, a turmeric pill or turmeric, however you want to say it. Yeah, yeah. But you take in a, a turmeric pill and it's got one gram of turmeric for each pill, but it says that it has 10. Well, they could say that. Because yeah. nothing is approved by the FDA. And mm -hmm. a lot of companies take advantage of that. And um, same thing with food and same thing what's in our drinks and the beverages. And when a, a drink says zero sugar and you look on the back and it's like, oh, it's all zeros. Yeah, then I'm good. It's got zeros. Yeah. It's got nothing in it. It's practically water. Right. Well, that it's is just not the case. Water. And, yeah. you know, when when I started really kind of getting into that and I started realizing that my relationship with food need, really needs to change and that no one's going to look out for me. Yep you know, that's when uh, a lot of good things happen. So that's why I always ask people kind of what they've learned. Um, yeah. because even as I get older, I mean, I'm almost in my 40 and I just found this stuff out. It's, uh, yeah. it's terrifying. It really is. Just think, you know? just think where you'll be in 20 years. I know I'm kind of stoked because. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, really yeah. in a good way. I, I had, when I was I your age, which it. has been a long time ago now, when I was your age, I had people warning me. That's not me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to warn you. What I'm going to say is things are going to change. But instead of this warning of, hey, oh, man, watch out when you get 40. Watch out when you get 45. I had people telling me that all along the way. Of course. I can say this, that life is going to, life is going to occur. You're going to go through things. There's going to be ups and downs and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know what? You just try to be a good person. Take care of yourself. And uh, life can be amazing. And the thing is, is that while we do lose some things as we get older, you know, our vision may not be as good. Eventually, the hearing will start to go. You, you know, mobility factors can change to a degree and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. As we do have a tendency to lose some things as we get older, we also do gain some things. And some of that is in the wisdom area. If we are students, if we are, you know, mm -hmm. all, you know, people that are always uh, trying to learn and grow and, you know, the saying school is never out for the professional. So I never feel like I've got it, you know, all figured out. I think in this area, 
I've got a real nice comprehensive view and I feel like we've got a really solid uh, overview that um, we can share with people to really give them a comprehensive, you know, uh, approach to this that uh, can create that forever, you know, position. Cause our, our goal is one, lose the weight one more time for the last time. No one wants to lose it and regain it. That's right. So, but anyway, as you get older, you, you, you do gain some of those factors. So I'm just going to say that, yeah, you're, you've got a, you've got a great future ahead of you. You're doing great things for people. And there's going to be a lot of good, I think that comes back to you for doing this good too. Cool. Thank you, Coach. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. Yeah. And uh, thank you for all the wisdom that you shared today. And if you can, uh, leave the listeners with one little uh, cliff notes of where they could find you again and your course, because yeah. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be interested in that as well. Real simple. I'm just going to give the website because everything else will be there, social media links and everything. So just uh, go to lluniversity.com. LLUniversity.com. Very simple. Well, Coach David Greenwald, thanks again for the time. It was a, a real privilege and an honor, and, and hopefully we could do this again for sure. Same here. Thanks so much for having me. All right, Coach. Have a great weekend. Oh, hey there. First of all, thanks for making it to the end of this video. Not a lot of people do, according to the YouTube analytics, but I, I do want to say thanks for listening to this. There's some more episodes if you want to check those out and they're all just as good but if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to the channel check out those timestamps below to reference uh, some of the topics i talked about as well as some discount links to some of our sponsors and affiliates but uh, thanks for listening to this episode and uh, we'll see you next time